we were talking about, you know, uh, music, you know, the, the commodity could be buying an instrument, you know, the make good could be a record or an album. The service would be Spotify. You're listening to Experience This, a show about the emerging experience economy with your host, Tom Young. Hi, everybody. Hey, uh, this is Tom Young. Let's go around the room. Wendy, that's a cue for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> and we also don't use our phones when we're recording. Uh, Wendy Azevedo. Okay. Sean. It's Karen. All right. Hey, hey, thanks for everybody. Uh, uh, yeah, the phone down. Uh, we're we're gonna today. We're gonna talk a little bit about um, go back to you know the title of the show, the experience. This when we talk about the experience economy, uh, Karen and I were um, talking about. We I pulled up an old article out of Harvard Business Review that came out in 1998, so it was almost 21 years ago, and they really introduced this notion. It, it was probably discussed before that, but. You know, they talked about the uh, experience economy, and there's been some subsequent, you know, articles written in over time. McKinsey wrote some stuff recently, but what I found interesting about the the Harvard Business Review article is they put a nice framework together to show how the economy evolves from, you know, the agrarian society to industrial to service to uh, an experience economy. And the reason we wanted to talk about this today is because as we talk to people about this show and about the concept, it often requires a lot of explanation as, what do you mean by the experience economy? How is that different than this, that, and that? You know, I always experience something. So they're confusing the word with the concept of the experience economy. So what we want to do today is just have a little bit of a discussion and help ground people in the concept of what is the experience economy and how does it differentiate from other aspects of the economy really to then open people's eyes to the possibility of what could be coming next and how could we um, be in front of it to facilitate making it happen and then position ourselves well to capitalize on the, the shift in the economy, which I think is going to come in the, in the next decade. Yeah. So, and then that's it. Karen, you want to say anything else? No, I think um, it's, it, you know, we were talking <clears throat> earlier, and you guys can see that some of the charts that we've got pulled up on the screen. It, it's fascinating that Harvard was talking about this 20-something years ago. And one of the articles that I was reading, I think it was like the first blurb actually in the, in mm -hmm. the Harvard link that you sent, was um, a simple example of if you think about birthday parties, there was a time when people were making cakes from scratch and then it turned into pre-mixed Betty Crockers. And then people started outsourcing parties to Chuck E. Cheese. So it's like the experience economy in some ways has been around. But in, you know, this is what I was asking you, and you answered it quite well about how digital has just taken it to a total different realm. And um, we'll probably talk about some of that stuff on that show, but it's wild. Yeah, so it, it, a, a lot of the premise that we had was – and the reason we started talking about this concept of the experience economy was our notion and belief that the digital tools that have been disrupting our lives, um, there's a negative aspect to that. And we hear a lot of that from people, especially who have teenagers, like when do you have a teenager and they'll say like, um, um, they get upset that their, their kids are constantly have their face planted in their phone. If they're at a family dinner, they're not paying attention. And uh, that's a common gripe, yeah. right? And so we see these digital tools disrupting our day-to-day our -day lives. 
And we're saying, how do we flip that on its head? How do we use digital to make our experiences better? And just like we heard in the last podcast episode, right? Sean was out on a trip and the digital tools actually came in really handy. They sure did. It saved you from a a real jam. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I I would say the, the technology in itself is agnostic. It's it's the the application that it is either good or bad, and so what we we want to do is to help help people think about this framework of the experience economy, which is extends beyond the service economy. So up on the screen we have a classic uh, consulting style chart. That's a two axis chart, and then it lays out the evolution of the economy. On the bottom you see uh, pricing going from market pricing to premium pricing. Market pricing would be uh, low-cost wins. Premium pricing would be luxury brands. Now, on the, the y-axis or the vertical axis on the other side, you see undifferentiated, which is commodities. So I'm buying napkins here, there, or the other place. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter where I get it. To differentiate it, it does matter where I get it. So you're going to get into the luxury brands and things that matter in terms of how I get it and what I get. And then going up diagonally, you go from this commodity economy where we're extracting resources and selling them. So I could be selling stones right. or selling wheat or selling uh, gold, gold or, or whatever the commodity know. might yeah. be. I'm selling those things and I'm extracting them as part of my business. And they're all the same. Like all gold is gold. For the most part. So right, there's right, a whole right. there's a commodities exchange where you could trade or, frozen orange juice, pork bellies, yeah. wheat, um, gold, metals, and, Silvers, and yeah. even currencies become commodities in that sense. And then you move into the next realm, which and that and that largely has been was characterized, and we'll get into the next chart. That's think of that as the agrarian economy. The next one is making goods, which is I take a bunch of things, put them together, and that think of that as the industrial economy, where I'm taking elements and I create a finished good. And when I do that, I move up and to the right on this chart. Pricing goes up and the competitive position moves from a pure commodity to uh, something that's a little bit more than that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I could buy a shirt from this store, a shirt from that store, there's two shirts, but it's not a commodity, one's better than the other because of the brand and the quality, et cetera. The next move up is I move into a service. So rather than selling you a finished good, I sell you the service of that. So uh, we were talking about you know, uh, music, you know, the, mm-hmm. the commodity could be buying an instrument, mm-hmm. you know, the make good could be a record or an album. The service would be Spotify. And so when you move into service again, up to the right and up vertically, more differentiated pricing, more premium pricing here. And then I move into the last one, which is experiences where I stage things. So I go from, from extract make, deliver, stage, moves from commodities to goods to services to experiences. So the only thing I'm not sure if I totally agree with on this chart is premium. Like do experiences, they've got experiences being totally differentiated and and highly premium, but I don't know. I mean, everything's not super premium price for experiences. I think it's I supposed know, to be re- relative, relative to the rest of them. Like it would be more of a premium than something that's just a commodity or something that's just a good. It's also it's also a conceptual chart. I mean, 
Because you yeah. could also make the same argument with services. If the service is done, like say, for example, Spotify is less expensive than buying a music collection. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason the service is valuable is because it's cheaper. But I think we don't want to conflate multiple issues here. The reason it's cheaper is because at the same time we're seeing digital technologies make everything cheaper. Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. if in the advent of the heyday of buying music albums, if I wanted to have a service that delivered me any song I wanted anywhere I wanted, it would be cost prohibitive. Right. Yeah. Right. There's also this, like when they said market for pricing, that just reminds me or makes me think like, okay, this is just, this is like if, if you're selling wheat, it's a standardized price. It's a market price. Versus when you're selling experiences, there is no, it's a, yeah, it's, there's no standardized price for it. You have the opportunity to charge a premium. Mm. Whereas with wheat, you can't charge a premium. You'd be out of business instantly. So like, Wendy, when you think of like the things you buy today, g- give me an example of where you buy and let's map it to this, this chart. Of where I buy? Just pick something that you buy today. Well, think about the Supreme stuff that you buy for Alex. Okay. So that is ultra premium price tag but somewhat of an experience tied to it it's it, and it's kind of interesting because a lot of their there are a lot of their clothing is um is like cotton brands like fruit of the loom for instance the boxers you but can still have a, premium pricing within the good however, realm however mm-hmm. yeah i guess so if i sell a louis vuitton bag it's still a good yeah but you know now there's also this um I'm not sure what the right term is, but there's almost like experiential brands, yeah. right? So now you've got goods and experiences kind of yeah. merging together to form a whole new way of reaching I, consumers. I, I don't think I don't think that the the these are exclusionary categories. It's again, this is a concept and a framework to apply to the thing. So because I could, the, like when your son's buying the uh, Supreme stuff. Right, there is a goods aspect to it, but then I would also argue there is the the, the experience of I now have to I have these I get to show them off and there's a, there's there's aspects of that. Well, going to the store, the way that the these stores are set up. So if you look at there's a makeup company out of New York called Glossier, which is all the rave right now. But ninety percent of the rave, well, it's all branding, but ninety percent of the rave is the experience of going to the actual Glossier boutique yeah. in Manhattan. Like that, they've they're turning everything into a place where you can have an experience made for Instagram, particularly. But the line is two hundred people out the door. That's crazy on any given Saturday. Plus, it's important, like because we were talking about this earlier, to to understand that this doesn't this doesn't just mean like okay, we're going from commodities to goods. Um, and then to services and then to experiences as if like the rest of it didn't matter. It's, it's, we're moving to good, we move to goods, but it doesn't mean that all of commodities is gone. It's still there. And then we move to services. It doesn't mean goods are gone. They're still there. Right. So yeah. it's just like the focus might be moving right. towards experiences. But, but, but think of it this way, Sean, I think a way to extract a premium from a good is to add a service or an experiential service. element to exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Right. So a lot of luxury brands have that. Mm-hmm. Right. They they come with the experience of having to wear it and being seen wearing it. Yeah. Right. Whereas, if nobody cares, it, it becomes a 
Like I'm when you buy end. like a piano, the Steinway, they have yes. the guy come and play the piano for you before you buy it. Yeah. Or the professional pianist. Part of the experience of buying it. It's, it, it, it. Again, it's very interesting, but I think what we're seeing is this notion of the emerging experience where we're changing the the notion. So um, the reason we have Sean you here as a millennial and Wendy, you have a, a young son, so you have some appreciation for the, the, the different value set that, people have one of the commentaries on uh, on millennials is that they value they value experience more than material goods yeah yeah is it fair 100 mm-hmm. yeah 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 <laughs> Alex he always makes the comment um he gets angry he's like oh this person was wasting my time like that is one of he's 15 he has lots of time, <laughs> but that's one of his, that is a huge gripe, whether it's, it took a long time at, of course, McDonald's or at a store he's buying something at. There's a, um, a focus oh, on time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting More, at 15. At 15. Time is actually it's especially element. Especially nowadays, we have so much that takes our attention. You know, like every minute is so much more. I'd say in economic terms, there's such a higher opportunity cost for every minute. Because you know, there is so much more that you could be doing in that minute than, than maybe 30, 40 years ago before internet, before gaming, but, before all of that other but stuff. But it's almost like that's this instantaneous, they're so used to things being so fast on their phones. Um, there's just so many things that are a lot, the patience isn't there. Yeah, like what takes a really long time to do anymore? For like a fifteen-year-old, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Riding their bike, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 just think about when the, they can Uber. <laughs> I think the the affluence of society, you know, I think lends itself to allowing the millennials to uh, look at the the chart. We look, we have put up another chart here where we lay out some characteristics of these four categories, but they look at it from the right to the left versus left to the right. Mm-hmm. I think the older fo- so think of um, you know why do you buy food right and why do you organize it into different combinations to create you know recipes and outcomes and then why do you go to a restaurant right at the end of the day you, you know the the restaurant business is so different than it was say a hundred years ago there was a, uh, yeah like it, there was there was a place to go in town and it was utilitarian in terms of feeding you. Mm-hmm. And now it's turned into an experience, and and a lot of people, you know, like, you know, for example, my my parents, you know, eat out quite a bit. I'm gonna say four or five, six times a week, because because they don't they don't want to they don't want to do the cooking and the commodity shopping, and so they just buy the service of someone taking care of that, mm-hmm. right? And now that's moving into we were talking about something like Rainforest Cafe that overlays an experience onto the service of high visual stimulation, mostly mostly for, for kids. Hibachi, things like that. But yeah, but it's yeah. but the the underlying service the underlying service doesn't have to be that good and it typically isn't. Mm-hmm. The the uh, like a dinner theater. Right. You know, do you expect to get good food at a dinner theater? No. Probably not. No. But they feed you and you're ostensibly going there to get something to eat and be entertained, but the entertainment's but it's hilarious that people are willing to compromise their standards on some stuff. 
Yeah. Like people don't care about the meal in certain settings. Yeah. Because they're going there for a larger, more memorable experience. So think of, um, let's think of the movie theater, right? All these movie theaters are being retrofitted out with nice recliner chairs mm-hmm. and food and, 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 and drinks. Right? At least around here there is. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, because otherwise you can't compete. Because the service now can be, you can get a movie on a nice 4K TV in your home. I'll just do that. Yeah. And now, so now you go to the movies for the experience. Yeah. Right. It's an it's a and you pay, and you and people pay, but they won't pay but for. Really? How often do people go to the movies? It's not going out of business. I don't go, but. Do you go? No, but when I did, I went once in the past six months, and it was because it was going to be an experience at one of these lay down reclining theaters. Yeah. And you go with your friends. When was the mm-hmm. last time you went, Sean? Um, I really can't even remember. It may, it may have been uh, over like a year ago. I saw this really bad romantic comedy, but I only went because I went with a girl. I yeah. didn't want to go. You go, Wendy? Rarely ever. I'm not a fan of the movies. I don't like. Yeah. To... So, yeah. but we that availability bias is. I mean, we know that, for example, that Avengers are one of those. Movies that just came mm-hmm. out like that as Avengers, yeah, Avengers, like a billion dollars in eight minutes, right? So yeah, they were yeah. selling lots of tickets. Yeah, you, I went to go buy a ticket because everyone was talking about. It. I didn't really want to see it. I don't like those movies, but I couldn't get a ticket. Yeah, couldn't get a couldn't get a seat. These are, seats were all reserved for uh, you know eight ten days out. So pe- there are people who are going. Yeah, but my I would suggest to you that they're going for the experience because you can watch it with headphones and sit right in front of a big screen TV and 4K and see it, and it's great. But I don't go for, because I don't like this, I think the movies are shit. Yeah. And so I don't <laughs> like them. I, I think TV is a much better format for telling a long story. Plus, the demographics are probably different. I feel like kids love those. Kids love movies. Going Visual to movies. stimulation. Yeah. But let's go back to the experience side of it. The 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 economy is, is drifting towards differentiation, the price premium, and the differentiation in the marketplace is the more you are to the right. So if you have a product or a good or service, if you can overlay an experience element to it, you're more likely to get uh, a price premium and and higher demand because well, it's differentiated. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting on this yeah. chart, that <clears throat> second from the bottom, it shows the buyer. You're actually now a guest of the experience versus the person who's, a, like your role has changed a little bit. You're not really a user of the good. That's You're a perfect a one. The, the difference between service and experience. Client to guest. Yeah. So uh, we should we should think about in our consulting world starting to call people guests. Yeah. Rather the, than clients. The um, we have when we think of like um, a, a restaurant like well that's the local I have a local pub here uh, dive bar. They um, they do bingo night trivia night. And you go in there, the place is packed. Yeah. And people are um, uh, going there for that experience. They can go buy a beer anywhere, right? Because it's a. Yeah. It's At some level, the beer is a good, right? And it's not really that differentiated. And so now they could go into, and they're doing an experience overlay and it's helping with a bit. That's why they do live music at bars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But this may sound like very simple concepts, but I think firms that are in the service sector and, sell, and firms that are selling goods, if they start to add an experiential component, 
Definitely. To what they're doing. And so the challenge I think we have is to think through how can we help people think through augmenting their services or their goods with some experience. It's usually the, the they're usually the most successful, like just speaking on some experience from like traveling for hostels and stuff. Yeah, sure. You can provide housing. That's a service. But the best hostels were without a doubt the ones with the best experiences or the ones that ever fostered those best experiences. And those are the ones that were the, always booked out, the ones that were charging a little bit more at the premium wise. Because people knew that I go here, I'm going to have an awesome experience. They, they cook dinners and they do like events and pub crawls and all this other stuff. I mean, you could just be a really lazy hostel, just have rooms and do nothing else. But I, I don't, I do think it's also a bit of a challenging thing to do because creating that right experience, it's not really, it's not always that straightforward. No, for sure not. Because you're really trying to too, but yeah. get to a very, I mean, we're moving beyond the surface level of humanity now into like the deeper, like memories, um, you know, connection and this like under layer that's a little bit difficult that I think. But it, I, 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 you know, I think of uh, part of it is just having people think differently about what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first problem is it's really hard to, to, to execute it if you're not even thinking think about, about the concept. Right. Yeah. Right. So the people who are doing the trivia night at the local pub or bingo night to try to drive incremental traffic on a slow night, they're probably not thinking of it in terms of an experience economy. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, when, when we think of um, why people go to places like that in the first place, you can start to distill out things you might want to consider doing when you go there. That's so true because I was I was recently talking to someone that uh, she's like moved here from the Netherlands and she's like studying or whatever. And I asked her like, oh, what do you do for fun? And she's like, oh, I do like trivia night at the bar. I'm like, why do you, I've never even considered that. And she's like, oh, it's like a good way to like meet people and like, you know, just spend some time and waste some time or whatever. So, so the interests are like the reasoning why people do or go to these is what you got to tap into and see, okay, so she's there to like, make friends, enjoy some time, or just have a beer or whatever, be in a new environment away from work. What else would she like if that's her go- if those are her goals? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think companies need to be a little bit more thoughtful about this versus just slapping something on top and calling it an experience. Yeah, and the, by the way, I, to me, the ones that, that get it right, whether they trip into it or yeah. they do it by design, mm-hmm. are, are very successful. So let me, let me, I'm going to use restaurants because people, you know, can relate to some of those because that's a service industry. Uh, the Cheesecake Factory. Why do you suppose that's always crowded? Versus, like, if you go to here in, in Bridgewater, at the Bridgewater Mall, McCormick and Schmick's is there. Yeah. And you can say, you can make an argument the food's different. But it's easy to get in there, which, and right next door, the Cheesecake Factory could have, an hour wait to get in. Why do people do that? You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. Well, no, I don't know. No, I'm, I'm trying to decide. Um, is it because there's a couple factors at play? Yeah. The menu at the Cheesecake Factory is really ex- extensive. Yeah. So you're probably catering to um, if you've got a party of four, most people are probably going to find something. But second, I think the novelty of oh my god, it's the place where I can go to get forty different types of cheesecakes. Yeah. Is you're giving it that statement of something my, that you can actually affiliate like to go, it with. My it. girls like to go there, and we never order cheesecake. 
<laughs> so I'm so I, I I don't know the the answer to it. I, I do. I've read some articles about one of the problems that people have at the cheesecake. I mean, here's some interesting things that are interesting about it. It takes an inordinate amount of time for people to order relative to other restaurants. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because the menu is so extensive. Mm-hmm. So you have the paradox of choice. And it affects the economics of the Cheesecake Factory. So one of the reasons why the line is a little bit longer is they don't turn their tables as fast. Mm-hmm. But it's part of their business model. They, they price that in and they, I would argue not to change that. The second thing is, and maybe this is just the narcissistic culture, a tremendous amount of people take the pictures of the food that they eat and put it onto their social networks. But they don't necessarily do that at other places as much. So you're saying they do it more at the Cheesecake Factory? Right, right. And so to, so if I were to think through and distill that, I would might suggest that the kinds of foods and the presentation and the choice, and the they, they create an atmosphere where that is... Uh, part of the the social experience. So when I'm going there, I'm likely to take a picture of what I'm getting, post it on my Facebook or Instagram account or whatever. And where if I go to like a regular restaurant, I'm just not going to do that. Why is it the branding of of the Cheesecake Factory? Do you think people are like, well, if I post this and the next tag time, them? The, I would just say this: the next time you go there, just. Uh, Make note of how long it takes the party to figure out what they're going to order and see if anyone takes a picture of, the, uh, of what they're doing. <laughs> I'm almost and, mixed and, on and, that. And look, look yeah. around. Just look yeah. around. Cause it, and don't, don't, like I said, it's easy to say I wouldn't do that or my friend wouldn't do that. Well, that's not market research. That is yeah. availability yeah. bias. That's, you know, we don't go to the movies, but that doesn't mean that people don't go to the movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when you just look around and watch, because one thing is undeniable. You cannot get in there. Tomorrow night, if you go there at six thirty or seven o'clock, you will wait for an hour, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's always crowded. So that's an example of, you know, helping think through what's the experience level. And some of the stuff, I you know, they, again, they may not be doing it by design; they're doing it by uh, it's an uh, it's an outcome. But it does it is it is part of the, the truth here. Right. What's happening? So let's think of like uh, another restaurant theme. Uh, for New Yorkers, you have Italy, yeah, or Little Spain, Spain. which is right by. Now I compare those two; uh, they're slightly different, yeah. Right, so Italy is shopping and restaurants kind of mixed together in a highly immersive cultural theme of Italy, mm-hmm. and they have a, a cooking class school there where you can take classes. That, that to me is the ultimate experience of yeah. doing this stuff. When they have probably have wine tastings and other things like that, cheese tastings. Whereas Little Spain is part of uh, the Hudson Yards, and you know, com- I guess competing for time with other people in, in that complex, uh, it's mostly just a, a, a lot of different variations of food and and drink that you can get yeah. in, in different settings in that Little Spain area. But both are very good. Mm-hmm. They're experiential in nature, aren't they? I think they're both very immersive. Um, definitely experiential. But you're right. I think Italy obviously has the real estate to be able to do a lot more with its space and probably draw people in a bit more than Little Spain does. So if we were to use the Harvard Business Review framework, mm-hmm. 
we would say Italy is goods and services with an experiential overlay, mm. whereas little Spain is services, services. with an experiential Experience. overlay. And I think the model where you have all three is better. That's just my personal opinion. And I go go back to our visit to the Starbucks Roastery Reserve, yeah, where they have a retail component where you can buy things. Uh, they have the service where they can you can have a cup of coffee. They'll pour it for you there, and it's the whole experience of that. And then the experience of of just being there around that and watching them uh, roast, you know, the, roast beans. the roast the beans. And- yeah, so I think that 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 qualifies for having all three. Yeah, I feel like of most of the places that we've visited, probably in the past six to eight months, I think Reserve has nailed it. Yeah. In terms of being the most especially for their experiential for what they place. do, they're a coffee shop. How do yep. you, they yeah. did a great job making. So one of the other early ones we visited was the uh, furniture store restoration, restoration hardware. hardware. Yeah, that has all three as well. It's a product you're buying. Uh, furniture. F- furniture. Mm-hmm. They have design services in house there where you can go and you know we we bumped into somebody. Who, was it you that somebody? Yeah, there? my friend Jody. Yeah, and they were they had a quarter of a million dollar budget to build out uh, to furnish a beach house. A beach house. Yeah, wow. it's a, a lot of money to spend, but um, if you have a three million dollar beach house, you know a quarter of a million dollars, why not? Yeah. Uh, you, you don't want to you know use IKEA to furnish it. No offense to IKEA. But, <laughs> well, it's in the Hamptons, so <laughs> yeah. All right, so oh, a quarter, quarter of a million might just be for wow. the living room. But yeah. uh, so they have goods, services, and then they have the experience where you can walk up and buy champagne, which yeah. we did. Yeah. And for eighty dollars for it, you can <laughs> walk around with a, a glass of champagne. Yeah. So. Well, you get to sit on the furniture with your champagne. Yeah. Have a chat. That's true. So Those couches were that was very all three. Yeah. So I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering if we start to decompose what are when we look at businesses and opportunities, the ones that that bring all three components together are the ones that are going to be very successful, mm-hmm. that sell something, that sell a service there, and sell the experience. Yeah. 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 So anyway, the reason we did this show real quick was just to reacclimate people to what does it mean to be in the experience economy, mm-hmm. uh, help people think through what it is, and so, so they can look around what's important to them and the and the the way they spend their money, where their friends spend their money, and, and just be observant. Exactly. As to what... Just take notice. Take yeah. notice. And uh, and by the way, I find it, I find it fun to do that. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. fun to talk about it with other people and say, what do you think about this? Do you think that this is an experience or a service and what's going on with that? And uh, it makes your uh, uh, the mundane a little bit more interesting right. as you do that. Like 30, 40 years ago, there was no way there's a furniture store that has champagne. No. Or, or, e- or even the design service. Yeah. Or furniture even being associated as a, a furniture shop being associated as a destination to go. Yeah. Being, yeah, we went there with absolutely zero intention of buying furniture. Yeah, we went there because it was a cool... Cool place to go check out. Place to go. Yeah. They've totally changed the entire association. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, you and I bumped in, we went into that Lexus experience. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if they were selling anything, but they were certainly promoting and selling their cars concept there. They had a restaurant, and uh, and it was definitely a cool experience. I think the the more that you can make a place a destination, a place where you can get, actually get people to show up, mm-hmm. is I mean it mm-hmm. seems to be really doing really well for companies. Yeah. So 
Anyway, as the weekend approaches here and we go through this and make some observations of where you start to see the experience component really brought into a business model that made them much more successful because I think that's going to be the key to uh, grabbing what I think is this larger and larger demographic of millennials and post-millennials who are commanding more and more of the of the spend in the discretionary economy. Mm-hmm. And so I think firms that address this well are going to be the firms that are successful. And the ones who ignore it will do so at their own peril. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's good. Well, cool. thanks, everybody. Thanks. All right, see you. Everybody. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Karen, I think you were supposed to say that. Yeah, thanks. I'll take it from here. All right, well, we got to do the, this is the new outcast. Oh, the out- called- outro. The outro. I think outcast is a new word. All okay. right, outro. We're doing a new outro. We got to cover a few things. All right. One is what? Subscription. Do you subscribe to We want people to subscribe to this, not just listen to it occasionally. Okay, yeah. Check the us out. The second thing is nothing's better than what? A, a five star rating. Always five stars. Got to give us the five stars because we get better search outcomes. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is comments. We need those. Yeah, we, we need your feedback. We want to know what people are thinking. So you can check us out. The best way to do it, if you're not sure, some people don't know how to do it. Go to our website. You can check it out. We'll have a full set of instructions. Uh, so whatever app you're using. Most people use, what do you use? Uh, I use Spotify. You do? Yeah. So we have Spotify. We have iTunes, uh, YouTube. There's a whole bunch. Of, whatever you use, we have it. And if, and if we don't have it, let us know, and we'll try to figure out how to get it. We can send you a paper-based instruction. <laughs> actually, actually, we do have paper-based instructions, even though. That's a fun inside joke to our team. So anyway, thanks for listening and check us out uh, in our next shows. Thanks. See ya.